say, Steve, giving you grace. Yes, and you mean it, because I'm going to do two messages in one this morning, right? It's way too much information. I'm fully aware of it as we go in, but I feel like everything I'm going to say this morning is super important. The second part of your grace given to me is this. I'm not going to be diving deep into Scripture this morning. I'm actually going to be more clinical in how we're looking at and viewing a very, very primary issue that we're all facing this day and age, which is stress and anxiety. And here's the point about it. We're going to look at it from a very spirit in a very spiritual way, right, but not diving deep into Scripture with it. Because the idea is this. We, as we dive in this morning, we recognize that I believe Jesus wants us to live fully alive, right, in this stress-filled world. But the idea is you can't really do that unless you begin to understand how is stress and anxiety actually impacting the created order of my mind and my brain right? That it's impacting you in ways that you don't know. And so this morning, I'm going to help unpack some of that. I'm going to be using some very rudimentary terms, like I'm just like bad and good, rather than some deep field, you know, clinical words, like using bad and good stuff, right? It's just because make it easier for me, make it easier for you. Y'all are smarter than I am, so I just kind of come with my mentality of doing things. We started last week in this conversation, and this is really, really important to the conversation. The place to begin, we said last week, of living fully alive is being honest with God about where we are, being honest with self and actually being honest with others, and then being honest about the resurrection. And what I mean by being honest about the resurrection is being honest about what the resurrection actually means in the context of our tension, turmoil, trials, and struggles and disillusionment in life. The idea is it's important to be honest, and then it's super important to have a right theology of how we understand pain and suffering, right? And so in that, the place of beginning about being honest with self is taken from Psalm chapter 73, the story of Asaph. It says this. We read this last week. You can put it on the screen for me. It says this. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. This is language all about how Asaph, who is the, he is the songwriter, excuse me, he is the music guy for David. David would write his psalms out, then Asaph would then put them to music, and they would then go sing these in all the congregation, which I think is hilarious, because all of Israel was singing those words that I just read to you right here. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, and I was really angry with God and hated him in the moment, basically, is what they were singing, right? And so what I'm getting at is he was honest. Your tension, your turmoil, your stress, your fears, your worries, this like thing that just like is overwhelming you. Asaph was just honest. Like what language, right? Put it back up. Since when my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast. How many of you know brute beasts are always yelling, right? They're like, I mean, that's what he was doing. So I love that he was super honest. So honesty is the starting point of like, just be honest. It's like it decompresses the moment, right? And the second part that was really, really important, which is then to be honest about the resurrection. So be honest with the Lord. But what that really means is then let God be honest with you about actually how the world is designed. What do I mean by that? 
The resurrection tells us the kingdom of God came to earth, but not in its fullness. The kingdom of God came, but not in its fullness. How do we know it didn't come fully? Super simple. You die. You've got aches and pains right now. The older you are, your body begins to to go against itself. Poor Bell's talking this morning, like Bill is here 100% spirit, but his physical body is like, I'm struggling this morning, right? So spiritually, he is, he is doing great. He loves the Lord more than anybody in this room, probably, outside of his wife, right? Like he, he just loves Jesus. He'll talk about Jesus. He'll pray for anybody in the room as much as you want him to, and his body is hurting him, right? So spiritually, he is thriving. He's alive. He's doing well. He's experiencing the fruit of God's presence and the fruit of God's spirit, right? He's eternally saved. He's eternally comforted by the goodness of God in his relationship. And physically, because we still live in a fallen world, his body is decaying. Is that true, Bill? It's true, brother, right? And that's how we all feel. So here's the point. Theologically, what God promises is not that we won't face trials, that we won't suffer anxiety. He never promises we won't have worry in the context of our life. What he promises in the middle of it, I will be with you, right? That's the point. That's what we celebrate. He promises to be with us in the middle of it and bring us and then lead us into wholeness, right? But it may take some time to get there. And all I'm getting at is this. Never hold Jesus accountable to something he never said about pain and suffering and hardship and difficulty in life. What he promises, like, do you know that every single one of the apostles was brutally murdered for their faith? This is like post-resurrection. Do you know that Charles Spurgeon, who was one of like the men of God, struggled with depression until the day that he died? Do you know that Smith Wigglesworth, who literally, I think it's like 15 people were raised from the dead in his ministry and thousands of people miraculously healed, suffered, suffered for his entire life of the day that he died, passing kidney stones, right? He literally would pass multiple kidney stones while he was preaching. He lived his life in utter pain. The men and women who passed those were like, oh, my gosh, that's the worst thing in the world, right? And he passed literally thousands of them a year, sometimes multiple, multiple while he's preaching, right? It's crazy, isn't it? The point is we suffer, we struggle, and so that's the point of ASAP. And I love that last phrase. You can put it back on the screen. Asaph says, all of this was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. God spoke to him, right? God was able to be honest with him, and then he understood their final destiny. So what we're getting, that's the place we begin. Be on, so in, in stress, anxiety, and worry, and fears, and doubts, and tensions, please be honest with the Lord and with yourself. Please be honest with somebody else that you love and trust. And then let God be honest and say, this is the world that you live in, right? Let God speak into that, and that's the place to begin. So with that in mind, with that in mind, again, let God be honest with us. We said last week that April is Stress Awareness Month, and that every year the Gallup polls, they do a poll leading into every April, April, where they literally do a Gallup poll about stress worldwide. And they ask thousands of people worldwide, hey, what is your stress level at? Is it peaked in a way that it never has been before? And this year, going into 2021 of April, right, they did the study and found that over 40% of people worldwide said they're experiencing stress 
in anxiety at a level they never had. I said last week, I believe, in my personal opinion, that number is higher in America because of the polarizing nature of everything we've experienced in 2020, right? From the, from the pandemic rhetoric, right, to the political rhetoric, to all of everything going on, the issue of race and the turmoil and tension around that in our nation. And I think that number, I said this last week, I think that number, personal opinion here, you can disagree with me, I think that number is actually higher than 60% in the church. I think it's higher because I think church people, uh, for the most part, actually care more about doing what's right. And they care more about living divided from people. And they care more about the tension of the world that we're facing because they recognize that they've been called to love God and love their neighbor. They live with greater tension. So in my personal opinion, I'm absolutely making this up, this number up, this percentage. I'm about to say, you can quote me, but I'm making it absolutely up. I think the number, and I'm quoting that because Randall's like, Steve, whenever you get percentages, please make them accurate, right? So I'm qualifying. This is not accurate. It's just my opinion, Okay. I think somewhere between 70 and 90% of people in church are experiencing stress and anxiety at a level that they never have before because of what's been going on in our world. I will put myself into the 70 and 90%, just so you know. So with that... We're going to pause this morning and talk about stress and anxiety. And I want you to know in advance, I'm going to do 100 miles per hour flyover of stress and anxiety. And after last service, Ingrid McKinley came to me and she's like, we got to get this information out to people. So I'm going to email this out to all of Vintage. Literally, I'm going to get, you're going to get my entire message. I do manuscript form, so almost everything that I'm saying is going to be in what I say, right? So everything, everything's going to happen. So if you want to this morning, you're free to just listen, let God speak, and I'll send you the notes within the next 40 years. I'll do it 24 hours. Try to send it out today, okay? Help me, babe, remember that. I can send it out today and get it out to everybody. All right. All right. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at, like, Scripture, kind of what Scripture talks about the anxiety, talking about what it is, talking about its impact on every part of our lives, body, soul, and spirit, practical things that we can engage. I'm going to give you long lists of things that you can do and things that you should not do, right? And so with that, I think it'll be helpful. And that's where I want to start this morning. Anybody hear this? God is a God who heals. Say amen, right? God is a God who heals. Jesus' ministry and the one that he led his disciples to. You've read the book of Acts, right? It was a ministry of holistic healing, and I believe that includes physical. I believe it means mental. I believe it means emotional. Holistically, therefore, after being honest with God and letting God be honest with you, I believe he wants to put all of us on a journey in the area of stress and anxiety to bring us to a place of holistic health in healing in the context of our life where stress and anxiety are no longer ruling our lives. And I have to confess, not trying to put unneeded pressure on us to perform, but I do believe that Christians are by far more equipped than any other human being in the world to defeat stress, anxiety, and worry and fear. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in us, right? That's why we have hope, because the Spirit of God indwells us is empowering us this morning. So as we dive in, I want you to know I'm stealing most of the information from a book. 
You can go read the book yourself. It's called The Anxiety Cure. It's on the screen by Dr. Archibald Hart. In fact, this book was uh, recommended to me uh, by Deborah Kirkland. Some of you know Clay Kirkland, Deborah Kirkland in Athens. This is her primary book and her counseling that she does. Uh, and the reason I love it is because it's written by this guy, uh, um, Dr. Hart, is actually um, a professor of psychology and a dean emeritus at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. And he is the voice talking about these issues for Focus on the Family. If you grew up with Focus on the Family like I did and James Dobson, if you read anything about emotional health or anything dealing with emotions with Focus on the Family, it was actually Dr. Hart. So a lot of you probably read his stuff and didn't even realize it, right? And so it was super helpful. I encourage you to read the book. It's a, it's a few years old, but I enjoyed the entire thing from front to back and thought it was super helpful. I would encourage all of you to read it. I'm not saying I agree with everything, who agrees with everything in a book, but I agree with most of it and think it would be super helpful for you. Uh, to read. So again, I know I'm going fast, but one of the takeaways uh, from this book, and one of my takeaways in life is this, and this is, let's just begin here. When facing, so I see when facing a legitimate issue in life, one of God's greatest, one of God's greatest tools for helping empower us is through knowledge and understanding of the issue that we're facing. So listen, If your child comes down with an illness that's life-threatening, what do you do? You call a doctor, and then you start studying it because you know that you can empower yourself in helping your child by gaining knowledge. So the old adage is true, knowledge is power, or as G.I. Joe always says, knowing is Half the battle, right? I love that right there, right? Knowing is half the battle. So what we're doing this morning is simply growing in our knowledge, growing in understanding. And here's the point. If you are fortunate to be part of the 10 or the 30% who's not struggling with anxiety or stress, here's the thing. All of you have someone that you love with everything inside of you who is. And if you were married to a type A personality, ding, 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 this is your spouse, okay? So here we go. Let's dive in. I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes. Don't get offended, right? That is one of the takeaways for type A's. They get easily offended. So here we go. The battle of stress and anxiety is as important begins with our brain. It begins with our brain. And I'm going to use this simple language. You have to remember that in creation, God designed your body to work in specific ways, right? And in the creation of the human body, our brain is by far the most profound creation because of all of its complexities, right? We've just in the last 20 years begun to really dive into doing like the fMRIs where you can see colors in your brain and how things are working. It's super fascinating, right? And the idea is this with its complexities. For us to counteract stress and anxiety, it's going to be super helpful for us to have a basic understanding of how the brain functions. You can know when you start freaking out and you don't know why, now you're going to know why. Super helpful, right? Super helpful for me. I read this and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. So, all right. Okay. In his wisdom... God designed your brains, this is not news to you, to communicate to itself, right? 
to communicate to itself. Conversations between your brain cells are happening all the time. You can think about those like radio towers. Like you have a radio tower and it shoots off information to this other radio tower to come to your radio, the radio station, right? And that's how your brain works. This, these messengers are called neurotransmitters, right? They are literally communicating from point A to point B. So for me to do this, my brain, the neurotransmitter went from one part of my brain to the next to tell my arm to move up, right? So your brain right now and everything that you're doing is just trans, transmitting neurotransmitters, communicating from point A to point B in your life. And so when you are facing issues in life, whether they're happy or sad, right, the neurotransmitters are literally sending these messages to every part of your brain. And here's the point. These messages, apart from you even controlling it, are telling your brain, your body, to be either happy or to be sad, to be either anxious or to be tranquil. You don't choose to feel those. Your brain just transmits the information immediately, and that happens in your brain. Right? So if you walk into a room, see someone you love and haven't seen them for years, you don't choose to be happy, do you? You don't choose to be elated. It's like, whoa, right? Because neurotransmitter communicated from point A to point B for that joy. Okay? So that's how your brain works. Your brain is always transmitting information. It's super helpful. Thank you, Jesus, for designing us that way. Now, again, some of these messengers are happy messengers. Again, this is the rudimentary language. There's better language like in like in the psychology world, I'm using happy messengers because it's just easier, okay? So these happy messengers, they energize us. They cause us to feel optimistic and vital in life, right? You, have, you know what those are? You win a game and you feel elated, right? It's one of those things. It's a good messengers. Other messengers, again, are sad messengers. They're sad messengers. They tell the brain. They tell the brain. You don't. They tell the brain, transmit to the brain to feel anxious to feel depressed, to feel sleepless, and to feel fatigued. And here's the point. We need both of these messengers to be healthy in life. How many of you ever watched the Disney movie Inside Out? I'm not saying it's perfect, but it does a great job of kind of how the brain works and functions with happiness, joy, and, and sadness. And it's not a perfect, but it's really, really helpful to create some language, right? So we need both of these to be healthy in life. That's the whole, actually, theme of the movie. They have to remain balanced. But one of the key ingredients that creates imbalance is 2020, a.k.a. stress, right? The stress. Stress is this primary ingredient in our life that creates the imbalance. Too much stress is bad for everything in your life. It releases sad messengers into your body. Stress is like a body blow in boxing. It lands with great force. It releases sad messengers into the brain. And in that moment, the sad and happy messages become out of balance. And in time, if we don't deal with the stress, sad messages take over your body and anxiety takes over. Tracking, happy and sad. When we live in stress, we have an imbalance. We have an imbalance. I thought about getting someone up here to hold like a 20-pound weight and just do this because you're having to act as a counterbalance, but the weight is always dragging you down. And that's what sad messengers do. It's like you're struggling. Uh, 
it's like this, and you see that arm like do this. Like that's what it looks like. Sad messengers, the more they're here, they begin to weigh you down until all of a sudden you just find yourself like this. So, in prolonged stress, in prolonged ongoing stress, the brain officially tips, and you are now experiencing what Dr. Hart in his book calls biological anxiety. Something you have, listen, it's something you have not chosen. It is absolutely unwelcomed. It happened to you. It is highly unanticipated. And it is out of your immediate control. Ask, any, ask anyone having a panic attack or an anxiety attack. Say, hey, just fix it real quick. They're like, I can't. It's, it's like it, you can't have an immediate action to fix that. The idea is you take, you begin, but you begin to take action in your life, right? And we're going to talk about that this morning. The reason we're talking about this is because what we discussed earlier, God designed us for a full life. But we are fighting ourselves, and to be honest, we're fighting God by the pace of life that we're living, and we're polluting our minds and bodies by the amount of stress that we live under. And now we have to lean into Jesus, educate ourselves, ask for help, and take steps towards healing and restoration. Let's talk about anxiety. Is it a sin? Anxiety, is it a sin? We have to remember, biological anxiety is birthed out of stress. And the stress of our busyness, it affects the transition of chemicals in our brain. So when the sad messengers take over the happy messengers, it literally changes the chemical nature of your brain. You have a chemical imbalance that you seemingly and absolutely have no control over. It just happens without you knowing it. And according to Dr. Hart, biological anxiety of your brain, which is really interesting, is never talked about in Scripture. This is never talked about in Scripture. Like his, his, his conviction is that biological anxiety was actually a birth, was birthed around the industrial age. And all of a sudden, our busyness and our schedules and production take over. Before that, we were primarily an agrarian society. I'm not saying there wasn't these moments, but ultimately it's like we began, we lived this life, we're going to talk more about it, that we were defined by the sun go, coming up and by the sun going down, and we just lived a life with a healthy balance. So he says in the context of Scripture, he's like, I just don't believe Scripture ever talks about biological anxiety. Again, this is just his words, not mine. I'm stealing him, so don't throw stones at me. Throw stones at him if you don't like it. It's his conviction that the multitude of verses referring to anxiety and worry in Scripture, which there are multiple, are speaking primarily about worry anxiety. And that is something that we are responsible for because it speaks primarily to us relinquishing control of our life to God. So let's dive into that. In Scripture, worry, anxiety is what we are told is opposed to God's will for our life. Scripture tells us, this is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests God, but you have to, so in that, obviously, this worry, anxiety is, is something that's opposed to God's will. Remember when he looked, when Jesus looks at Martha, this is Martha, Martha, you're so worried about many things, right? Stop it. Mary's chosen what is best. She's just relaxing and resting and sitting at my feet. It'll never be taken from her. Just pull back and do that, right? You have this, and you're like, oh my gosh, what does this look like? But Dr. Art, again, in this, I love this. He comes and says, you have to recognize there's a difference between different types of anxieties. And this is what he says in his book. And I didn't, this is not on the screen. He says, it's unfortunate that we only have one word for anxiety. A good analogy would be the concept of love in Scripture. 
In English, we have only one word for love. But we know there are many different forms and meanings behind it. So when I look at you and I say, man, my gosh, I love cheeseburgers. And we start talking about prom the other night. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just, I love my girls. I would die for them, right? You and I both know that we mean that very differently. I would never die for a cheeseburger, right? But I would die for my girls. And so in the context of this understanding of Scripture, there are four different words in the New Testament for love. You probably know these. There's eros, which is sensual love. There's phileo, which is love between friends or brotherly love. You have storge, which is affectionate love, what I call burger love. And then you have agape, which is the sacrificial love. Think about Jesus on the cross and me willing to die for my girls if something happens to them, right? So worry, anxiety, this is going to be on the screen, is defined as a lack of trust in God and a failure to fully understand his plan and provision for us. Okay, again, it's on the screen, defined as a lack of trust in God and a failure to fully understand his plan and provision for us. Martha's a prime example of that. She's so worried that Mary's not doing what she needs to do to make Jesus happy, right? Just worried in the moment, but just kind of releasing things. So it's what happens in our lives when God's people try to live their lives independently from God and controlling things is clearly harmful, therefore pleasing to God. And so Paul recognizes this worry, anxiety in Philippians 4 and 6. So again, worry, anxiety. We are responsible for it, and Scripture speaks against it. Biological anxiety. Well, did you make yourself have a panic attack? Did you all of a sudden come up with some phobia on your own? Did you all of a sudden just wake up one morning and go, I just choose today to struggle and find everything a struggle in my life? Did you wake up? Well, no, you didn't, right? It happened to you. And here's the point I'm getting at. There are faithful, Christ-following people who trust Jesus with everything in their life. But because of the nature of the life that they're living, the things that have happened to them, the sad messengers take over, and they are faithful to Jesus, but struggling with stress and anxiety and worry right now. And that's what I want to say to you. Freedom, right? If you have worry, anxiety, you're trying to control your kids and control your spouse, all this kind of stuff, that's a whole other thing. And then just stop. You can read verse 7 of Philippians 6. He gives a beautiful, like, here's some stair-step pieces to take. And everything in prayer and supplication, present them to the Lord. Trust him, and he will bring peace, right? But this, this piece over here is like you didn't make it happen to yourself. And so it's not sin, but it's something that God wants to bring breakthrough in and heal in your life. And that should not, like I was talking to someone between services. She was in tears, like, I've lived in guilt of what you're describing as biological anxiety for my entire life. And this morning, I realize Jesus loves me and set me free. I'm not bound by that shame. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, right? All right. Yeah, I wrote down, we may be trusting God in life, but living biologically anxious because of the amount of stress in our lives. God's so good. Now, with it in mind, next step, <clears throat> once we realize stress and anxiety has taken root in our lives, we need to wake up, right? Kind of wake up, not passively, super important, not passively give in to anxiety, and then take steps towards breakthrough. 
I want to say something to you that may be a little bit shocking to you, okay? I'm going to change your thinking about things. Think about how extreme stress and anxiety impacts you. Maybe it makes it hard to breathe. Maybe you can't sleep at night. Maybe you start getting heart palpitations. Maybe you do have some level of anxiety or panic attack in your life. I look at you and go, praise Jesus those happened. Because they are God's built-in body response to tell you it's time to take care of stress and anxiety in your life. God designed your body to respond that way so that you would then go, oh, I need to work on this. I need to invest in this. I need to engage so that God can bring healing. So when I sit with someone, like, oh, my gosh, I'm struggling with this. I'm like, praise God, you're struggling. It's a sign sent from Jesus that it's time to give, in, give yourself to investing into this issue of your life. Yay. Kind of, right? So. They're just signs to help you begin to engage these things, right? Signs of our body is letting us know we need help. They are God's way of speaking through our body, right? So we obviously rely on God's strength for our steps. Talk about the power of God's spirit. But we also, it's really, really important. We also have a responsibility in the steps that we're taking. You are not a robot. You are not a robot, right? God doesn't pick up your legs and cause you to walk to a counselor. He doesn't pick you up, throw you on your knees and make you pray. He doesn't put his hand into your mouth and start talking to people and pray, right? No, he gives you the ability and the responsibility to step up and do those things. Therefore, Dr. Hart says this to his patients. You can stone him if you don't like it. It's on the screen. Self-empowerment. So all I mean by that is like taking personal responsibility, right? Self-empowerment is the key to achieving tranquility, what I would say abundant life, and surviving the long-term ravages of anxiety. That doesn't mean God won't help us. Of course he will. He provides the power that we lack to become effective in our lives. But no human suffering, no suffering, no stress and anxiety can be born without such hope, right, of God's movement. At no time does God expect us to surrender. Surrender control to others and become helpless in the face of anxiety. All I'm getting at is when we have these signs, right, these things, we don't just go, oh, woe is me. I'm going to crawl into a hole and die. No, it's like, God, thank you. You've given me a responsibility to step up. You've empowered me, right, to take those steps. And your spirit empowers me in some of those steps we're going to talk about this morning. Not all, but some. So let's go through, right, running through causes of stress and action steps to combat it in our lives. These are long lists. Again, this is going to be, you can take pictures of these if you want to, but they will be sent out in my message. Again, the book is better than my message, but this is at least helpful. Number one, behaviors we engaged, behaviors that we engage that release our bad messengers. So put this on the screen real quick. Carl, if you take a picture of this, whether you were out there or here, you got about 10 seconds to do that, and then we're going to move on from these. Okay, just like a picture. It's like stress over arousal conflict. Take a picture if you want. And then we're going to move on. We can't hold these up because then it blocks the screen virtually. All right, you can go off of it now, Carl. Here it is. Number one, stress. Right? We're going to look more at this in a bit. But uh, one of the behaviors that we engage to release the bad and sad messengers in us is stress. Right? And I'm, here's the thing that's interesting about stress. There's good stress and bad stress. Bad stress are the things you automatically think of. Things aren't going well. Conflict in your life. Your child being terrible and getting on your nerves. Your spouse being angry with you that day. You're like, oh, my gosh, right? But also the good stress. 
your team is down by three with just 30 seconds to go, right? It's like fourth and five, and all, and you're like, oh, right? And then they make that pass. Man, he like jukes that dude out, right? He falls on the ground and takes off, scores a touchdown. That's good stress, but it has this, listen, do you know it has the same impact on your body that bad stress does? Super interesting. Number two, arousal, overexcitement, and pleasure-seeking. These are the ones who it's like to, to counterbalance, they do extreme things. They're like, oh, yeah, they get overly aroused or overly excited, right? Because they're trying to counterbalance those sad messengers. So I would look at people and say, listen, if you're like, oh, overly this, right? It's showing that there are some sad messengers you're trying to counteract in your life. So be aware of over arousal, excitement, pleasure-seeking. These are like the people who are always bungee jumping, always doing something along those lines. It's because they've had too much stress that's raised up sad messengers. Number three, conflict next to stress. Conflict is the most common destroyer of our good messengers in our life. You know what that looks like, conflict. Number four, under assertiveness. This is the healthy version of turn your this is, excuse me, this is the unhealthy version of turn the other cheek. It's unhealthy because in not being honest with people who've offended you, that you have struggles and tensions with. Right, you just like, I'm just going to turn the other cheek, and then what does it do? It breeds hostility and anger, right? It's this, like, false sense of turning the other cheek. It's like, I'm just going to love them, and you don't, because all you do is think about how much you hate them whenever you see them, right? Sometimes with people, you have to just be honest with them. Like, you have people like that, oh, I'm just going to turn the other cheek, and all of a sudden, like, one day and the next and the next, you, like, begin to grow in resentment towards them because you're not being assertive because you're trying to be like Jesus. Jesus to go, listen, bro, you're making me mad. Get behind me, Satan. He said it. I'm not saying you should say those words, but I'm just saying, all right? Number five, insufficient sleep. This is great. One thing that releases sad messengers into your life is not enough sleep. We're going to talk more about that actually in a few minutes, right? So sleep is needed to keep the body in order. Six, giving in to your type A personality. Why am I picking on type A personality? Because Dr. Hart does. Dr. Hart says that the primary people who really struggle with panic attacks and anxiety attacks in the context of life, who really struggle with anxiety on a high, high level, are type A personalities. You know why? Because they're primarily leaders. He says people who are leaders are the ones who primarily have panic attacks and anxiety attacks because they just think so highly of their abilities they don't need to slow down. Right? So panic attacks aren't a sign. Stress and anxiety is not a sign of being weak. It's actually a sign of being really, really strong in arrogance. Anyway, so here we go. No, I mean, I'm just playing around. Okay. This is what he said about type A personalities. These characteristics of a type A personality literally cause, just in acting this way, cause sad messengers to be released into your body. Number one. They are always in a hurry or in a rush, always like over scheduling because they think they can get so much done. So they're always in a hurry, always in a rush, always probably running just a little bit late, whatever it may be. They have a deep sense of justice. They expect perfection from themselves. 
They expect perfection from all of us, and they're offended by anyone who breaks the rules or even their unspoken rules, right? Number three, they become quickly hostile and irritated easily. So they're the ones who, like, something's going on, like, ah, this is wrong, right? And they can tell you very quickly what's wrong with the situation and what the person that did it wrong. They become easily irritated, quickly hostile in an environment. Fourth thing, I'm sure no one can think of anybody like this in their lives. Number four, they maintain a sense of control. They hate feeling helpless, right? They hate relinquishing control in life. They feel safe if they just take care of everything themselves. That's why their schedule's too busy because they can't really release things, right? And the last thing he says that releases sad messengers, obviously, is trauma of any sort in our life. I'm going quickly here. I know this will be, I'll send it out to the vintage emails. So that's why it's important to sign up for our newsletter because that's the email list I'm sending it to. Here we go. Behaviors that in us, it's a free advertising clip right there for us, for our newsletter. Behaviors that increase your good messengers, right? Behaviors that increase your good messengers. So here's the screen. This is four. There's more than this, okay? Uh, but these are just some of the things. Just the taking time to rest, meditation we're going to talk about, seeking out and enjoying humor, breaking out of your type A rut, Okay, take a picture of that. Now let's go through these. Here we go. Carl, number one, taking time to rest. Guys and ladies, too, hear this. Every engine in the world has something called a duty cycle, right? A duty cycle. Don't think of babies here, like awkward duty, right? I'm thinking D-U-T-Y, okay? A duty cycle simply is this. Every engine basically has like a 50% cycle, which means it should run at its peak at 50% of the time, and then 50% of the time it should rest. Every engine is made differently, but by nature an engine has this kind of reality, a 50% cycle on, 50% cycle off, because if an engine runs... At 100%, all the time, the engine will burn out and it will die. That's why, for example, if you have a truck and you pull a boat or something heavy all the time, because of the extra strain on your engine, which wasn't designed for that, your engine will not last as long. That's the idea here. And so in this, right, our bodies are just like machines. They cannot run endlessly. They can't just run because they will burn out. Have you, so for those of you type A, so have you ever been running, 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 and then one day you just crash, and you don't even know why? He's like, I can't do that. I can't, parent, I can't adult today. Can't be a parent. This is your day to parent, right? We must rest, take time to rest. In fact, I've read this multiple times, and I've already kind of stated it, but I think it's so fascinating, right? That God, listen, through God's design, his created order, God responded your body to respond to natural light. So our bodies have been designed that when the sun comes up in the morning, we start work. And then when the sun goes down, we stop all work, anything of production. That's the way we were designed. So all the way up until the creation of unnatural light, electricity in light, human beings did that. They would just work at sun up, and then they would go to bed right around sundown, and they literally had basically a 50% duty cycle in their life. But with the formation of the light, you can just stay up all day long and produce all night long, which gets your body out of rhythm, releases sad messengers into your life because you're not resting with rhythm. And all of a sudden you wake up one morning and go, why am I struggling so much? Where did that come from? Because you weren't sleeping. 
Then have rhythm. Number two, meditation. Obviously, we're not talking about some weird Buddhist transcendental thing. I'm talking literally like the Old Testament, New Testament expression when he says, meditate on the law day and night. What this simply means is that we are choosing, we are, are choosing a time to slow down, to stop all of our production, like all the, all the, like all the, um, you know, like the gears like shut down. They completely stop inside of us. We stop and then we just focus our attention unhindered on scripture, on the goodness of God. We focus on the beauty of God. We focus on all the things that he's created that lead us to him. We just stop and we focus. And in doing that, just stopping to meditate, it literally releases happy messengers into your body. And all of a sudden, it helps create balance. The last, uh, seeking out, enjoying humor, right? Seeking out and enjoying humor. Listen, as I read... This, this one stuck out to me primarily because I've just never given it much thought, but it's so true. Healthy humor is so good for the mind and the body. I did not know until I was reading I love that he's this theologian guy is reading this book because he says in the Jewish calendar, probably most of us did not know this, in the Jewish calendar is actually an official day for laughter. It's called the Feast of Purim. It's an official day for laughter, the Feast of Purim. Everyone dresses up in funny costumes. They go out and they act silly. And it's connected with the Jewish peoples and turning their fear upside down in the face of impending annihilation in the book of Esther. So why laughter? Because rabbis teach it's because when you think you are in danger and then find you are safe, you naturally respond with an outburst of joy and laughter. And so Jews believe that laughter is an opportunity to rise above the limitations that blind us from seeing God more clearly. The idea is this. If you really believe in God and his control in your life, then why don't you just laugh at your stress and laugh at the dangers in your life because you just know that's part of the physical world and God's in control and he's with you in all of them. So just choose to laugh. And I'm like, that's crazy talk. Right? I'll never forget literally one. We were on vacation with Jonathan and Amy Griffith, great friends of ours. We're in Charleston. We were like Randall and I have been one of those seasons where all y'all were stressing us out at Vintage, right? And we had to get away from y'all. So we went on vacation, right? And we go with the Griffiths. And so we're sitting there one night and Jonathan says, you ever heard of Jim Gaffigan? And I'm like, no, he's a comedian. He's pretty clean. Let's put his stuff in. So we watch Jim Gaffigan, Mr. Universe, right? One of his specials from like 2014. And so I'm sitting there watching this. He's talking about giving birth and like not him obviously right but his family and and I'm listen y'all I'm eight minutes in and I'm laughing so hard I literally guys you got you got to press pause I I literally can't breathe I couldn't catch my breath because I was laughing so hard I mean, I'm talking I'm literally like falling down to the table I'm like I'm laughing like but I'm quiet when I'm laughing I'm laughing so hard I got tears just streaming down my face right the whole thing. I stopped it twice during the way because I couldn't stop laughing. It was hurting so much, right? And it was in this moment, I'm like, God, it was so good. These good, healthy messengers being released, right? So go home and watch them or go watch Nate Bargatze, super clean and super funny too, right? But man, like it just releases at number four. Break out of, listen, type A, just break out of your type A rut. It's a choice you can make. I know it's hard. I'm not saying it isn't, right? But all the patterns of type A personalities literally work against the abundant life. Sorry, 
You will have to learn. These are, these are very intentional words I'm about to use, okay? You will have to learn, type A people, to celebrate and to engage unhurried rest. Celebrate and engage unhurried rest. Celebrate and engage slowing down. Celebrate and engage absolute disconnecting. I mean from your phones, from your computer, from television, from primarily producing and controlling other people's lives, right? And then celebrate and engage not making an idol of producing something. Your value is not found in production. Your value is found in loving Jesus and loving people, right? That's simply it for every single human being. All right, it's 1212. Let's see if I can get through these. I told Jin Chu we'll be running late, so she's good with it. I hope your kids aren't crying. Here we go. You can blame me if they are. I'm going to give you a list of 11 things here. These are, I can't read that, uh, steps to relieve stress in your life. Steps to relieve stress in your life. Take a picture. This is 11. These are a little bit longer. These are just things you can do. Super great. Don't you love that God's given you the ability to choose to engage some of these, to step into the abundant life? Because what he'll do is you engage these, he empowers them. He's like, let's do it. Like, let's think about Jesus. He's like, you want to do something to get out of this? Let's do it. And he does it with us, right? Super great. So when I'm watching Jim gaffing and laughing my head off, he's laughing with me. It's so fun. All right, here we go. Just kind of get a picture for you. All right, here we go. Things that you can do to relieve stress. Number one, set boundaries for your life. Set boundaries. Don't you love that Jesus ministered? He's like, that's enough. 50% duty cycle, and he pulled away. He went by himself. I don't know if he was an introvert, extrovert, ambivert in the middle. I have no idea, right? But he was doing something. He's pulling away, right? Pulling away. He's like, I'm setting boundaries. I'm done. Sorry, guys. I'll pick it up tomorrow. And he went away. He set boundaries for himself. Let me say this to you. Everyone listen. You are not responsible for everyone and everything in your life. It's a lie. People don't need you. They need Jesus. And his grace is enough to carry them. If there's nothing else you hear, it's that. If you think you have to control people and things to make something happen, then you don't trust Jesus. You have worry, anxiety. You need to break out of it. Number two. Be firm about setting your recovery times, right? Give yourself more time to recharge between stressful events, moments, stressful moments, or stressful people. So it's probably not best to go to your in-law's house and have that conversation and then immediately go talk to somebody else about something stressful, right? Set some recovery time. Counselors do this all the time. They meet with people for an hour. It's super stressful, and then they take an hour break or at least 30 minutes to catch their breath until the next person comes in, right? Number three, resolve conflicts quickly. Be assertive, please, to be honest with people about the areas that you have tension. Have you ever had someone that you could still be friends today if you had just been lovingly assertive? And process with them the area where you had tension. People have left vintage because they were afraid to simply sit down and have an honest conversation about something that offended them that I didn't even probably intend that I said on a Sunday morning. 
Because I find out later, like, you left because of that? Why didn't you just come talk to me? Like, that was, I hear you, but that was, that's actually not my heart behind it. I mean, somebody, I had someone leave vintage one time because I used the word meditation. Without even knowing that's just a biblical term, right? I mean, seriously, I'm like, come on, just have a conversation, people, right? Resolve conflicts. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone in this room has someone that when their name is spoken or you see them in public, you get really anxious because you just never resolve the conflict, either in your own heart and mind with the Lord or with them. Number four, take, this is super practical, just take care of unpleasant tasks first. If you have a list of things to do, do the one that's creating the most mental tension for you so you can then release it and then get to the easier things. Because you know how it is. If you procrastinate to the, this thing over here, it doesn't, you actually feel the weight of it and the sad messengers are being released until you get it done, right? Number five, maintain open and healthy relationships. God designed you to be in relationships with people who help you. This is what I find. Everybody pay attention. It's super, really important. I had a conversation with this guy very randomly. Heard I was the pastor, so we spilled his guts at the end of the other night. It was great. In our relationships, in church, and in the world, we love to be in relationships until difficulties and hardships come, which expose our weakness, so we prefer to hide until we get our life back together. And it's the exact counterintuitive piece of what it means to be a Christian. When I am struggling and I instinctively want to draw into myself, it's a sign from the Lord to go share with people so that someone can walk with me and do it. I love the practical piece of Jesus. He walks into the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what this time is going to look like. He knows what's about to happen. And what does he do? He goes to Peter and James and John. Don't make this too spiritual. Think of it very practically. He says, guys, I just can't do this by myself. Can you just come with me and stay awake and pray with me? I don't want to be alone right now. It's too hard. I can't be alone. Like, don't make that too spiritual. Like, well, the reason for that in the Greek and the... No, he just doesn't want to be alone. He wanted to be people with him. He wanted the boys to come and say, just, that's why he got his feelings hurt. Don't lose that. Jesus got his feelings hurt that they fell asleep when he was praying. Right now, our good friend in South Asia who's struggling, you know what I'm talking about. That's why she has an email text chain with about 30 people she's texting all day long. She is sharing with people the weight she's going through because she can't do it by herself. This week, I was in a conversation with David Elders. I'm sharing this because I want you to see how this works, right? I was in a conversation with David Elders. David Elders has become one of my closest friends. And I say close, like closest best friends, right? We've, he's the pastor of Stonebridge Church. We've been meeting every other week for lunch for the past five years, right? And we were sitting at this Greek, uh, this like, I don't know, some restaurant in, in, uh, down on Franklin Road last week. And, and he is just like rambling. And at one point he stops. He goes, man, I Ooh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just rambling here. And I looked at him and said, it's okay, man. This is great. I love it. I love it, right? And so we kept on, he took up on rambling and talking, and we just kind of processed some things, and the rambling was super fun and great. It led us to a great place around vision and what we wanted to do with the blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so I get home, and I'm thinking through this, and the next, I'm talking to Randall about it. Next morning, I text him. This is what I'm going to tell you what I wrote him. Hey, David, I told Randall yesterday, my favorite moments together are when you ramble. This is a very random text. 
One, it gives me a glimpse into how your mind thinks. But two, it also shows how much you trust me and how comfortable you are with me as a friend to not feel you have to guard or filter your thoughts with me. Thank you. I feel the exact same way when I'm with them. Man, we just sit there and have these rambling, unfiltered conversations, right? Because we need those, because they make me feel safe. They all of a sudden release. And here's the thing. When we do it, it's releasing happy messengers in our brain because we feel known and we feel connected. I'm going to let you into the rest of our conversation because I think it's pretty funny. It has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about, but I just think it's great. So I said, um, I went on, I, I, this is what I wrote down. I went on to add incredible humor to the moment. This is what I said. Rambling with partners in ministry is how the greatest vision is birthed. I think, I think we saw and felt that yesterday. Let's keep it up. Well done, us. Basically, we won yesterday, meaning we are winners. It's great to be us, right? That was our conversation. Everybody's like, whatever, right? So it's funny. So again, maintain open and healthy relationships is super important. Number six, please go see a counselor. I met with 20 pastors in the past three or four months. And you know what? I ask all of them, like, what's one of the greatest things that you've done in ministry, that you've been in ministry for 10 years now? What's the greatest thing you've ever done in ministry to help you? And every single one of them to a person has said, the greatest thing I did for my personal health and emotional health is I got a counselor. It's been the greatest thing in my life. Because what a counselor does is they sit down, empowered by Jesus, to ask you questions about the things in your life that are producing sad messengers that you're unaware of. They help you process them to get to a healthy place with them so that you can then run again in the abundant life. Counselors are a gift. I love my counselor. He's great. He asks me great questions. We're buddies, and we talk, and he challenges me, and sometimes I challenge him. Number six, here we go, right? So number seven, take medication if needed. I mean, there's like taboo subjects. They shouldn't be taboo. Take medication if needed. This is one of the primary tensions for believers. I just, just got to trust God. I just got to trust God. Listen, when you have a chemical imbalance in your brain, prayer's not going to help you. It takes a lot of prayer. If you take, listen, if you all of a sudden just go over there and get on medicine, what it does is it gets you into a chemical balance again where you can then even process and think through life. Listen, all things, this is my, this is my conviction, all things have been created according to Genesis and they've been deemed good by the Father if used within his bounds and his created order. There any, therefore, anything in God's creation that can be abused if used outside of his created order, and that's how I view medicine. It is a gift of God's creation if used wisely and within his created order, which means it is not abused. Therefore, in our conversation this morning around anxiety, obviously I'm reading this, and it's in this, around our conversation around anxiety, its impact on all of us, I will share my opinion that medicine is a gift in countering anxiety if used wisely and carefully in the midst of an ongoing conversation with a caring and engaged doctor, psychologist, and counselor. However, medicine is not the answer. It's just part of the, it's just one of the tools. The answer is a multi-layered approach. It involves prayer. It involves community. It involves life change around the stressors that are causing you stress and creating the chemical imbalance. It involves counseling. It involves education and probably more stuff, right? That's my personal conviction. I believe with everything inside of me. Number eight, don't make decisions on life when you're stressed. 
Making stressful decisions in the context of stress is bad. It just ramps everything up and sends lots of bad mess, sad messengers. Number nine, change what you listen to. Listen, if you are listening to news all day long, having polarized voices that are simply feeding your fear all day long and polarizing you even more so from people whom Jesus loves, it is increasing sad messengers in your life, and it would be super helpful and healthy to stop. My grandparents stopped listening to Fox News and would turn on the Weather Channel. Literally, that's what they'd say. Like, I walked in and like, why are you, why did you turn on the news? I don't know. We started getting really sad and angry all the time. So we just turned the weather on. It makes us feel better, right? You know, it's got that elevator music in the background. It's just so great, right? Nothing personal, right? So listen, just change. I'm not saying you shouldn't read the news and listen to the news. Just read it with balance, right? Listen to worship. Listen, elevation worship is all about Jesus winning, right? Maverick City is all about Jesus being fun and being intimate. Non-worship, listen to Jack Johnson. He's just light and fun. Friday, as I was preparing for this message, I was listening to Ben Rector. He wrote a song called Fear. I'm sitting there in the middle of listening to it in my message, and I've got tears streaming down my face. I played it for my girls. They're like, oh, my gosh, I hate this, whatever it was. I'm like, but it's just so life-giving, and I Googled him. He loves Jesus. Fantastic. I had no idea, right? And so it was so great. Not so much news. Listen to things that are uplifting, whatever it may be. Number 10, change what you watch on TV. Super practical. Just watch, change what you watch. If you haven't watched the, the series The Chosen, about the life of Jesus, yeah, people are like, oh, my God, best thing ever. Go watch The Chosen. So powerful, the life of Jesus. You're going to get done going, happy messengers, right? I'm loved, and he loves me, and he's awesome, right? Eleven, last thing, tap holy. Toby, you can go ahead and come. Tap holy and completely into Jesus. The idea is simple. Hear this. We are only alive in Jesus if we abide in Jesus. We are only alive in Jesus if we live in and dwell in him. Why do we talk so much about prayer? Why do we talk so much about being in the word of God? How many talk, how many talk so much about the dis- disciplines of fasting and worship? Because when they're done, not to earn something from Jesus, but just to enjoy him, then they release good messengers into our life. Can I be really honest with you? I've looked at people who are stressed out about prayer and just said, just take a deep breath and stop praying. Like, what? It's like, yeah, just, would you just go sit? Just go sit and know Jesus is present with you. This is the backwards way of saying to meditate, right? And then just, listen, just go focus on the word love. Just do it. Just like go and focus on the word love. Don't pray. Don't say. Don't say anything. And just focus on the word love and live confidently in your presence when you do it. Okay. It'll come back three years later. Oh my gosh! I just found myself starting to pray. I just love Jesus so much. Whatever it is, right? So listen. Tap wholly and completely into Jesus. Uh, John fifteen four. This is where I'll end. Abide in me. Jesus speaking, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, Jesus, as we have, we have this time here just to reflect, I'm asking this morning, Jesus, that in all of this that I've said, I pray you would take one, maybe two or three things, God, and would they just be interjected into the core of every person's being of the lie that they're believing about themselves, the lie of hopelessness, the lie of stress and anxiety, the saying, well, this is how you're going to live forever. Not true, Jesus. 
the things, the fruit, like these, these signs we're experiencing of being overwhelmed and stressed and can't sleep. God, I thank you for those because they point us to our need for breakthrough, which then points us to you. Pray for each person that God's a engage responsibility and take steps towards wholeness. Thank you, Jesus, that when they take, when they get up and take that step towards any of the things that I'm talking about, you're like, sweet, now let me empower you to do it. So, Jesus, we receive your grace today. Thank you, and we love you. Amen. Let's just do this this morning. Let's just, uh, no ministry uh, teams. Um, we have one. All right, you already there? I'm just kidding. This is the Leones. They could absolutely pray for you. So if you want prayer this morning, uh, we're going to end service right here, right? So this is the end of our service. I'm not coming back up to you're in charge. Okay. So <clears throat> you can leave when you're ready. We're just going to stay in worship. So if you have kids, it's important to get them because they're probably ants. So you can bring them back in here if you want, okay? If you need to leave, God bless you. Have a great week. I know I've gone long. Thank you for your patience. Just respond as the Lord leads. Pray into some of these pieces. Get ministry. I don't care about anxiety or stress. You just want prayer for anything this morning. They love to pray and they love people, right? That Italian love, man. Steve might just like, give me a hug, right? Whatever it may be. We want some pray for you, love on you, and get some breakthrough in your life. If you just want to sit before the Lord this morning and rest in his presence, fantastic. You just respond to the Lord. Okay? You guys have a great week. I love you. Don't forget on your way out. If you're a first-time guest, grab one of our bags. You have offering baskets and